Our teaching today is from Colossians 1, 15 through 23. At least that's what I get to share. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thanks, Julia. Good morning. It's great to see you all here. It's a privilege to be here with you again this morning. Most of you know uh, that my wife, Laura, and I are ministering down in Costa Rica, where we work at a seminary, teach classes and disciple students and uh, encourage pastors. And uh, I just want to thank you, and Laura wants to thank you for this body has been so supportive and encouraging and so prayerful. And uh, the longer we're down there, the more doors open up. This last year, we saw different doors up open up for us than we had expected. And your prayers help us see those doors, and your support helps to walk through them. So I just want to sincerely thank you for your part in that because it is central to what we're doing. So thanks. Now, before I talk specifically about this passage this morning, I want to take a brief survey. I don't know how this is going to go, but we'll see. Laura cast doubt on it less this morning. She had me tweak it, so I had it. So it's good. So how many of you, since you woke up, since you got out of bed this morning, have received some kind of announcement or notification or alert on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer, somewhere along the way. Since you got up this morning, how, have you received, how many of you have received something like that? Good, 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 good. I was hoping for that. That's good. There was a lot there if you didn't notice. There was a lot. I know I've received my word that I got a couple, you know, several, too many new emails, my news briefing, my, there was a couple of new additions for my podcast available, uh, and some other advertisements. And I think if there's anything that sort of characterizes our modern experience as humans today is that we're flooded with messaging of one th- sort or another. Now, the vast majority come to us in the form of advertisements, actually, which slide in beside the news or beside our email. I mean, a week or so ago, I was looking, well, no, it was before Christmas. I was looking for some shoes on cabelas.com. I'm a Cabela's weakness, right? So I'm looking for some shoes. I didn't buy them. I didn't get them. But now everything, I, all my email, there's the shoes. There's the shoes. You still want those shoes. Don't, you still need those shoes, don't you, right? It's just everywhere. I'm flooded with these shoes. And, we, you know, we see them on our, on our computers, on our phones, not to mention TVs when, when you know, when, the, when it's fourth down, they got a punt, they got a change. We see all kinds, of, so all kinds of that stuff, not to mention when we're driving down the street, how many we see just driving down the street. Now, each of these messages 
these advertisements tells us in one way or another how we're supposed to live life, right? And usually they take the angle of making us feel insecure, that we need something. That if we're your life, you want your life to be a better life, a happier life, a richer life, a more impressive life. But there's something that you need, and so we're insecure. And it's designed to make us feel that sense of inadequacy. We need that soap. We need that truck. We need that phone. We need that app, that trip, that experience, that fly rod, that shampoo, that razor, that bank, that computer, that insurance, that perform- You can fill in the blank, right? But you can bet that whatever the product is, the advertiser will be working hard to make sure that you are the center of the deal. It's about you, your life, your image, your health, your finances, your success. It's part of Apple Company's genius that a number of years ago, they cornered one little letter in the alphabet. I. Everything's an iPhone. It's an iMac. We're on iTunes. It's all about me. Life is all. That's the philosophy of our day. It's all about me. And as we're on the cusp of 2019, we get, we get it in the form of, well, what are you going to do in 2019? What do you want? What do you want to have? What experience do you want to have? Where do you want to go in 2019? It's all about my preferences, my desires, my well-being, my agenda. But this isn't really very new. Genesis 3, Satan promises to Adam and Eve, well, if you eat this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be able to define it for yourself. And if somebody tells you you're like God, they're really saying it's all about you. You can do what you want. It's all, it's all just in your realm to decide, right? I saw a vivid example of this just down the street from our home in Costa Rica. Can we get that first slide up there? I'll read you the Spanish, but don't worry, you've got a translation there too. No dejes que nadie nunca te diga que no mereces lo que quieres. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you don't deserve whatever you want. Wow. Put that in your pipe and smoke it for just a little bit. You want to destroy a family? Look at that. But that's sort of the way we were. Well, what you want is really what matters, right? Well, this passage I want to share about today doesn't just shed a little light on the idea. It's probably more accurate to say it sheds a little thunder and lightning on it. So before we get into the text, uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're in control and that we're not. Because I know that when I'm in control, I make a mess of things. Help us to draw comfort from this passage today wisdom from this passage today. Help us to see you as you truly are and by faith to align our lives with the true Lord of the universe and his true Savior of the world. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text really deals, and it's, it's Paul's most condensed. Remember when you used to buy, buy orange juice concentrate in the little tubes and then you'd you know, it's, this is like Jesus concentrate right here, this text. This is the most compact explanation of who Jesus is in the Bible. It answers that question, who is Jesus? The central question of life, right? Remember, Jesus brought this up to the, to the disciples in Matthew when he said, well, who do the people say that I am? And they give various readings on that whole thing. And then Jesus says, but really, who do you say they are? And that's the central question, because... Our relationship with Jesus is the most central thing, period, right? Those two elements have to come together, his identity and our response to him. So let's look at that passage, if you have your Bibles, but I'm going to read out some of it here. 
The first verse in verse 15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Look at that first phrase, the image of the invisible. That doesn't quite make sense, does it? Invisible isn't supposed to have an image. It's kind of hard to make sense of that. The struggle, the disciples struggled with that too. Remember it was in John 14 where Philip says, well, Jesus, please just show us the Father and that'll be enough. What, remember what Jesus says? I've been with you so long. Don't you have a clue yet? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And I think they sort of went, okay, <laughs> what does that mean? The Bible tells us that we are made in God's image, but this verse tells us that Jesus is the image of God. I don't know about you, but it makes me wonder every once in a while, what did Jesus look like? What do you think he looked like? Uh, A number of years ago, Time Magazine ran a a series on this, and they published that. Can we get that next slide up there? Uh, The cover of the magazine showed all the different kind of pictures that people have made of Jesus over the years. And they tend to be ethnocentric, right? In fact, if you look kind of almost at the center, there's a Stephen Jobs version with long hair there of Jesus, right? But, you know, the Bible tells us that we don't know. We don't know what Jesus looks like. I mean, in the sense that he, we never get a clear picture of Jesus. Look, and maybe that's a blessing, right? But Isaiah tells us something important in chapter 53 in his great messianic passage where he's describing the suffering servant. I can read it to you. I get that next slide. He, the Messiah, Jesus, had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It's amazing to think that God's son was very average looking. Nothing special. Not some six foot four chisel bodied Adonis. Nothing like that at all. Of course, God could have done that, but he didn't. Could have brought him from Rome, but he didn't. He said he's from Bethlehem in Galilee, a place that wasn't even very good reputation in Israel. You and I, it's amazing to think you and I would have, could have walked right by him and never noticed him. Didn't have a halo overhead, didn't glow. Very average. What's up with that? This is the image of the invisible God? What are we to make of it? Well, a couple chapters later, Isaiah reminds us of something else. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is going for different things than we are in this world. His way is not our natural fallen way. He doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And his way probably won't be impressive to the world because the world can't see what's higher and better. In John chapter 1, John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, God's glory wasn't full of glamour and treasure. It was full of grace and truth. I think we need to rethink what glory means. Grace and truth. That's the glory of God. Now, back in this Colossians passage, that first verse ends with the phrase, He's the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The word doesn't refer to His birth. We know that because the next few verses where it talks about him existing before the creation. But it it does refer to that firstborn idea is the idea of position or authority. It means he's first over everything. It means 
like the ancient custom that of the, of the eldest born. He's the owner. He inherits the whole thing. In other words, the whole ranch belongs to the eldest son. And in this case, the whole ranch is all of the universe. And it belongs to Jesus. Remember, we're getting a picture, an answer to this question, who is Jesus? Verse 16 tells us, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You may not be accustomed to thinking about Jesus as the creator, but the Bible actually makes a point of it. He's there at the beginning in Genesis. It says that there's God the Father. It says the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Jesus' name isn't there. But when God begins to create, he creates with his words. He's let there be light, let the waters be gathered, and let the dry land appear, let man be made in our image. So he creates by his word. And then John tells us in his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. There it is again. And then later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Creator. It's, it's the, as God expresses, He's expressing Jesus, and Jesus is the Creator. Let's do a little experiment just to kind of demonstrate how this works. Everybody just kind of, you can close your eyes if you want, or just picture what I'm about to say. Picture a beautiful mountain valley here in Idaho somewhere. It's late May, early June, spring. Still a little nip of cold in the air, bright blue sky up above. As the meadow unfolds before you, you've got those purple and yellow and white wildflowers. Maybe in the left-hand side is a beautiful little cabin with a curl of smoke coming up out of the chimney. And then all around you, up high, are the bright, snowy peaks glistening in the sunshine. Okay, now you've got to come back. What did I just do? With words, I created something in your minds. Jesus speaks. God speaks through Jesus and universes come into existence. Words are powerful and creative, especially God's word. Right? Now look what else it says here in verse 16. All things were created through him. But it also says all things were created for him. We've got to stop and think about that for just a minute. According to this verse, it's not too much to say that all of creation... Each element, including you and including me, finds its purpose in Jesus. We were made for him. At some time or another, we've all asked the question, what am I doing here? What am I here for? Here's the answer. I'm here for him. You're here for him. Whether we recognize it or not, that's just reality. And when we live our lives trusting that truth, trusting that reality that we're here for him, then our lives go as they're supposed to because we are living according to to our designed purpose. I'm not saying there aren't problems, but we are functioning as we're designed to function. We're made for relationship with Him to serve His plan. Now, when we deny this or violate this or go off on our own, we aren't living according to our design. It'd be like trying to play tennis or golf with a baseball bat. Like trying to play soccer with a football. Can you imagine that ball? Riding a lawnmower onto the connector at rush hour? That'd be like that. Trying to ski with baseball cleats? Be like trying to play the piano with mittens? You get it. You, can, you get the idea, right? That we're not living according to our design if we're not living with Him as our purpose. We are here for Him. So Paul follows up on this idea in verse 17. He says, Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Notice it doesn't say He was before all things. 
It says he is before all things. See, Jesus existed before time with God the Father, right? So time, this is important, time is a part of creation. That's why Genesis is so careful. Genesis 1, and there was a, the first day. It was evening and morning the second day. It is careful about marking time because time is part of what God is creating at the beginning. Now, that means time had a start. The universe is not eternal, and it had a starting point. Now, in the early part of the 19th century, scientists began to discover the evidence which showed this to be true, and many of them got nervous. They didn't like it, so they tried to, and they've still been trying to find explanations, way to explain it away. The others who saw it concluded, well, there must be a God, because if it had a big, if there was a starting point, there must have been a starter, right? There has to be, if there was, if something had to give birth to this time. And some people don't want to accept that fact, but there's the evidence right there in front of it. Think of just for a second. If, if suddenly we heard, you know, a couple blocks up here on Eustick, an enormous explosion, we wouldn't say, I don't think any of us would say, well, you know, explosions happen, just one of those things. <laughs> what happened? Who did it? Who's responsible? We'd want to know because we would know it was caused by someone and something along the way. Same thing, the universe is there, right? I have a colleague down in Costa Rica. He's not a believer. He works at a secular high school. We've had some discussions about this over the years. And he wrote me, not long ago, he wrote this to me. He said, why do we need to know about how it all started? It seemed like this drive to know the start has led to a split in humankind which causes conflicts throughout time. But I have to disagree with him because origin has to do with purpose. If we're here as nothing more than cosmic accidents, then there is no purpose. We just... Make it up as we go. If we're here just by cosmic chance, there is no real right and wrong. It's just whoever is in power decides, right? But you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to tell a three-year-old that there's right and wrong because they'll tell you that's not fair. You learn where they won't learn the word fair, but they know it quite well because they know there's right and wrong. They sense it in their soul. But if, on the other hand, our origin is the work of a divine mind, and a divine plan with a loving heart. If it's the work of an eternal father who designed us to walk with him, that gives life a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Now we know there's a purpose. We don't have to go searching for it. We just have to seek God for it and say, how do I fit into your plan? We're the work of a divine heart and a divine mind. When it says he's before all things, yeah, it means he's before time, but it also means he comes first. Everything comes after him, right? That everything in life comes after Jesus. There's an expression in Spanish that you hear often down in Costa Rica. I'll say, for example, I'll say, okay, hasta jueves, I'll see you Tuesday. And say, Dios primero, God first. Thursday, I said, not Tuesday, sorry. Some of you caught that. But, but they're always, Dios primero, God first. God first. I love that. In other words, yes, but God's in control. His plan is what matters, right? Now, Jesus, it says there that Jesus was before all creation, and then Paul says that in him all things hold together. Jesus' involvement in the universe is literally what holds it all together. You look back at Genesis one more time. I keep it in Genesis because it's our beginning here, but it's what, what Paul is referring to, right? And it says that everything at the beginning is formless and void. It's chaos. But with each creative act and each creative word from God, the world becomes more organized. First, there's not just darkness. There's light and darkness. 
Then the waters are separated below from the waters above. Then the land comes out and it's separated from the waters. And then you've got the lights of the day and the lights of the night to separate times and seasons. And then you've got the animals of the sea and the animals of the air and the animals of the ground, each in its place, reproducing only according to its kind. In other words, after each act of creation, order increases and chaos decreases. You see, Jesus brings order. When his influence is rejected, when we reject his influence, chaos comes back. Chaos enters. Chaos encroaches. I see this in my own life. Whenever I decide to go rogue and do whatever I want without thinking about it, without checking in with God, without walking according to the Spirit, I think it's going to go better. I think it's going to be more efficient. I think I'm going to be more satisfied. And it's a miss. Every time. I may be fooled for a few moments to thinking, yeah, this, but sooner or later, no. When I seek Jesus, order increases in my life. As we move towards Jesus, Order increases as we move away from him. Chaos enters our lives. So at this moment in the text, Paul shifts now. He's discussed Jesus as sort of the cosmic influence of Jesus, Jesus as the creator. Now he's going to move to Jesus as the head of the community of faith. And he is the head of the body, he says, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ's body is now here. We're a little part of his body. Each of us is an element of his body, and as such, infinitely important that we play our role, that we perform our function so that the body is whole. The emphasis here is about Jesus, though, and it's about him being the head, right? Now, it's the head of a living thing. And if we're not careful, we can easily absorb this worldly definition of a head as somebody who calls the shots, somebody who commands over like a general or some CEO. But the more consistent pattern of a head in the Bible has nothing to do with rights. It has to do with responsibility. The head takes the responsibility of caring for others, whether it's a group of believers, a family, or a marriage. The Bible doesn't teach that being the head gives us rights. It gives us responsibility. That's what being the head means. You see, Jesus sees our sin, and as the head, what does he do? He takes it on himself. He pays the debt that that sin created. That's the kind of head we have. God's ways are higher than our ways. He's a servant looking for our good. And his is the way, his way is the way the church functions when it is functioning as it should. This is the community of life as God has intended it to be. It's a place where we die to self and serve one another just as Jesus did. In other words, it's a place where love thrives, where God's love thrives. Community is about more than shared interests and shared theology. It's about interconnected lives in which love is the fundamental principle. It's God's way of reaching the world through a community of people who've been brought from death to life and now live to help each other live and walk with God. That's what Jesus said to that first little community of faith. He said, by this, and he's talking to the disciples, by this shall all men, the world, the world will know me through how you love one another. That's a beautiful way. And, and if, if there's a genuine community of love, who doesn't want to be part of that? We've all been on circles, outside of circles, and we want to be part of that because there's something special going on in there that we have a thirst for. That's what that community 
is all about. And Jesus is the head and the leader in that way. Verse 19, in him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven or making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He was fully man, but he was fully God. But through, though he was fully God, he wasn't full of himself. Philippians tells us that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. That's God's way, but it's not our way. He entered into humanity as a servant to reconcile all things to himself. Notice, he was pleased to do it. He wanted to do it. He wasn't, well, I better, they've made a mess of things. I better go straighten it out. He wanted that. Why? Because he wants to be with us. He takes the initiative. If you're like me, you may not be. You've, you've been in a situation where you had a, some kind of upset in a relationship. Maybe it was with your wife or husband. Maybe it was somebody in the family. Maybe it was a colleague or a friend, which ah, you offended each other. Somebody, somebody, something went wrong. And, well, I'm not going to be the first one to apologize. I'm gonna, he should come to me. Really, that's the way it should. No, I, didn't, I didn't do nearly as much as he did. He should really. Wait a minute. Think of what we've done to God. Ignored him, denied him, sinned like crazy. Who, what does he do? He comes to us. He comes running. He becomes human to rescue us, to reconcile us. He doesn't wait for us to go. He comes while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of Savior. That's who Jesus is. Jesus takes the initiative. God humbles himself to save me. And when I see that really clearly, my pride is undone. And I can rest in His grace without insisting on my own way or my own rights or anything else because He's enough. Okay, Paul has discussed Jesus as a creator. Paul has discussed Jesus as the head of community. Now he discusses Jesus and you and Jesus and me. Verse 21, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of His flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. As he talks about reconciling us to the Father, he discusses what made the separation. And it was obviously our sin. But what Paul focuses on here is the sin, the root of sin in our mind. It's in our minds that sin begins. James talks about that as well. Paul's words are strong here. He says that as sinners, we are hostile in mind. We see God as the enemy, as someone who wants to squash my personality and my desires. That's a way many people portray him today. He's a killjoy. He doesn't want me to be who I truly am. Others will see him as the cause of everybody that's wrong. The outspoken atheists of our day blame Christianity for pretty much everything that's wrong in the world. Or we see him simply as irrelevant or as a fiction but see, sin starts with wrong thinking. And Paul's emphasis here is it starts with wrong thinking about who Jesus is. That's what Paul is battling here. Wrong notions about who Jesus is and what he's like. The world has its own picture of Jesus. We just saw about 20 of them up there on the, on the thing. Everybody's got those picture in, the, in their mind about what, who Jesus is, what he's like. But we need to see the real Jesus. See, Paul was like this, right? He had his own interpretation of Jesus. Jesus was the enemy. And this little band of followers, we've got to squash him. And he was violent and aggressive to try to wipe them out. I mean, he's violent, literally. And now he sees this bright light 
He's blinded so that he can see the truth. And Jesus becomes, he recognizes that Jesus is the great treasure of life. Jesus had to reveal that to him. What it, the way he was seeing with man's eyes wasn't reality. Now let's ask why he came to reconcile. Look, it says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Those are kind of words like holy and blameless and above. Those are kind of Bible-y words, kind of religious words, and we can kind of gloss over them if we're not careful. But I think most of us in reality walk around with a pretty heavy load of shame and guilt and a sense that we're not the kind of people we're supposed to be. We become expert at hiding and deflecting. We're quick to be on the defensive to try to explain our actions or to blame others. Or we criticize others because that somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. But God lifts us out of that. Out of the pit, and to, to use the Old Testament term for it. We can be freed from the need of, finding to, of need to finding fault in others so that we can feel better about ourselves. We can just be free and forgiven and cleansed. Jesus takes care of all that junk at the cross. Why? So that we can be with him. Notice the text says, so that we can come before him. We're allowed into the throne room, into God's room, cleaned, forgiven, restored. We can come to the, before the king, look straight up at his smiling face, at those shining eyes, and receive his acceptance because of the wondrous work that Christ has done. What a beautiful place to be. But why else do you go into the throne room? Why do you come before him? Because he's got good things for you to do. Where now? Father, what's next? Prepared beforehand, those good works are that we should walk in them, as Paul says in Ephesians. It's his work. Notice, it's his work. God isn't an adornment or insurance policy about our work. We're here for His purposes, made for Him. So now let's talk about 2018 and 2019. The most important things that happened in 2018 may or may not be what you review. But I can tell you the most important thing that happened to you in 2018 was something God did in you and through you. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you do. But it's worth reflecting on. What did God do in my life and through my life in 2018? Whether, no matter what the stock market did, no matter what, no matter what your company did, no matter what your job did, what, no matter what your health did, what Jesus did is more important. And because he changes you and me, his work is actually the best thing that can happen. When he changes you and me, if you and I are more like Jesus, the world's a better place, period. <laughs> your family will be a better place. Your home will be a better place. Your work will be a better place. If you and I are more like Jesus, if we let him have his way in our lives. Now we look at 2019. Let's look ahead. And the text makes one thing very clear. This new year is his. He owns time. If we think you're wasting my time, wait a minute, we got a wrong set. It's all God's time. Time is in his hands. It belongs to him. His ways are not our ways. And so God will do some things in 2019 that we don't expect. Some of them will be more pleasant than we expect. Some much less pleasant than we expect. But he's in charge. He's good. We're here for him. All things were made by him and for him. We may think and feel that life is out of control. And for us, it will be. But not out of God's control. The Jesus we see pictured here is in absolute control. And he's absolutely good. The year belongs to him. The question is, will we believe that? 
Will we trust him with it? Yeah, we should make Jesus a priority this year, but it's deeper than that. He is the priority, whether we act that way or not. It's all about him. So we come to that throne room and ask, well, God, how does my life fulfill your purposes? How does my work fulfill your purposes? How does my relationship with my wife fulfill your purposes, with my kids fulfill your purposes? How does my relationship with finances fulfill your purposes? How does my relationship with my career, with my coworkers, with my friends, with my use of time fulfill your purposes? How do my words and my thoughts and my attitudes fulfill your purposes? That's where we need to be. Because it's his. And this is where faith is central. Paul exhorts us to continue in the faith, steadfast and not shifting from the hope in the gospel. The world will tell us it's all about us and that another way is better. We say, nope, nope, God's way is better. I'm sticking with him. The notifications will increase. You'll get more messages in 2019 than you did in 2018. More advertisements. But the message, the notification, is that the one who before anything existed, the one who planned the far-flung galaxies, the one who spun the pinwheel shape of the Milky Way, the one who arranged our sun and Mercury and Mars and Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and all that little blue planet where we are, who arranged the mountains and the canyons where the cities would be, who brought us here, he's the one who planned your life too, and we belong to him. What a majestic God we serve. What a powerful God we serve. What a gracious God we serve. Let's turn 2019 to a determination to seek his will, to go into that throne room and in full trust in his strength and in his goodness and in his love, follow where he leads. Let's pray. Lord, we don't have to give 2019 to you. It's already yours. Help us to recognize that. Help us to yield to it and not fight it. There's going to be things we want that you say wait or you say no, but that's the best way. There's also going to be things coming around the horizon we haven't even seen that are beyond, or beyond beautiful. We thank you that you're in control and you're good. Keep our minds and hearts centered on the fact that we're here for you. And that's where true freedom is. In Jesus' name, amen.